All right, well, good morning. I'm glad that you're here. It thins out a little bit when the, the kids leave, but this is good. It's good. Um, so I'm excited to bring God's Word to you this morning. I, I've been itching to preach all, all week, and so I'm excited to um, share with you what I found in God's Word. Uh, the most dangerous place to be is to be in danger and not know it. Wouldn't you say? Now, two weeks ago, I had the opportunity and the privilege to preach again. And uh, I, I talked about the danger of prayer um, and that, that it's dangerous to pray, pray in such a way that you're trying to impress God or that you're trying to impress people. And that's a dangerous way to pray. Um, but instead, we should pray uh, sincerely and simply. Um, and this week, I'm talking about danger again. So some of you are like, well, what's your deal, man? You got like some kind of danger complex? Uh, no, but I will tell you, danger is my middle name. <laughs> it isn't. <laughs> it's Matthew. So, uh, so anyway, there's that. Uh, the most dangerous place to be is to uh, be in a place of danger and not know about it. We know this ex- uh, uh, instinctively. Um, that's why a sucker punch works, Right? That's why if you're not paying attention and you get punched, that it, it is, there is some damage that is done. Whereas if you're ready for the punch, maybe it doesn't go as well as, as uh, your enemy or opponent had planned. Um, I was sucker punched one time. It wasn't a sucker punch, though. Uh, it was a puppy. Hold on. Um, when I was four, I was playing in the front yard at our house in New Braunfels, and this ferocious beast attacked me well he didn't attack he he uh barked and then he licked me but i was four and i didn't know it was coming he surprised me he jumped out he licked me and so i passed out so that (laughs) i was four okay it's fine i was surprised by this ferocious beast and it did not go well for me i didn't know that i was in danger Okay, um, I, my, my kids go to school at the, at the school that meets on our campus, Round Rock Christian Academy. And uh, we park right out there every morning. We park right out there, and we get out of the car. I, I help the kids get their backpacks out of the car. And, and then if you, were, if you were with us and I helped you, uh, or, and you helped me get my kids in here, you would he- hear me say a thousand times, get your eyes up. We're in a parking lot. It's dangerous. You're little. They can't see you. Pay attention. Because what do kids do? How do kids walk across the parking lot? They look at their feet, or they look over the shoulder, and they're going to get run over. They don't know that it's dangerous. You have to remind them. And so I tell them, eyes up. All the time I tell them, eyes up. The most dangerous place to be is to be in danger and not know it. And some of you experienced this uh, this principle several years ago. It doesn't feel like several years ago, but... But indeed it was several years ago. Um, I was a freshman at Texas A&M University. <laughs> That's good. So uh, I was a freshman, and, and like a fool, I took biology at 8 o'clock in the morning on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Pro tip, don't do that. Um, but I, I, took, I took those classes, and, and uh, I am not a science person. Some of you are. Science people, that is not me. That is not how I am wired. And so I did not enjoy that class. I spent most of the class trying to stay awake and figure out, figure out what the guy was talking about. I wasn't real sure um, what was happening. But this particular day, it was a, it was a Tuesday morning. I was at class and uh, trying to stay awake. 
Class is over, and I'm heading back to the commons. I'm going to get some breakfast um, real quick, and then I'm going to head up to my room, third floor, Aston Hall. Um, I'm going to head up there, um, and I'm going to eat breakfast and then get a nap before my next class. Not a morning person. So that, that's what I was going to do. Uh, but this particular day, I have my breakfast, and I'm walking through the, the commons, and there's, uh, I, I come across what was known as the TV room. Um, the TV room is a descriptive name because it's a room with a TV in it. And there's some couches. And, and the idea is you could go in there and watch TV. Nobody was ever in that room, though. You have a TV in your room or you have friends that have a TV. You don't go watch TV in the TV room. Nobody ever did that. It was always empty. Um, it's not there anymore. Those of you, there's a few A&M students, it's not there anymore. They renovated that place. It looks nice now. When I was there, it looked like it was the 1970s. The only problem with that is it wasn't the 1970s. So, uh, but they renovated it. It looks nice now. I think they did away with the, the TV room. But, but this particular day, I have my breakfast. I'm headed to my room, and the TV room is full. There's tons of people in there. So much so, they're spilling out of the outside, and they're looking in through the, the glass windows. They're all looking at the TV. And so I'm wondering, this is unusual. So, so I kind of walk, and I stand next to the people that are standing there looking through the glass, and I look. And what I see on TV is I am watching the events of 9-11-2001 unfold on the TV in front of me. And I kind of get a glimpse of what's going on, and so I, I, I head up to my room um, so I can kind of watch it and figure out what's going on. I'm sure many of you have a similar story of, of how you found out about those events, that terrorist attack that took place that day that, that, that changed America forever. That, that day had, had all kinds of emotions. I'm sure many of you remember these emotions. I, I had friends who wanted to quit college and go join the military. I had friends who, I mean, remember, this is the fall semester of my freshman year, so three months before that, I had just graduated high school, you know? And so I had friends who, out of high school, joined the military in peacetime, and like that, it's not peacetime anymore. Everything changed that day. Everything changed that day. There, there was panic. I, I don't know if you remember that emotion, but there was panic that day. What is happening? What is going to happen? I remember my dad called me that, that evening, and he said, you, you need to go get gas in your car. And I thought that was a weird thing to say, but he said, well, the last time we went to war, and we are going to war, getting gas was kind of a problem. If your tank isn't full, you need to go get it full now. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next week or whatever. But do you know why that attack was so effective for our enemies? The reason that attack was so effective for our enemies is because um, they were at war with us, and we didn't know it. We, we were in danger, and we didn't know. They, they had been plotting and scheming against us, and we were laughing, and we were partying. And then the sucker punch came. And we fell. We fell hard that day. See, the most dangerous place you can be is to be in danger and not know it. If you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians 6. We'll certainly put it on the screen for you. Um, but look, Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be for a little while. This morning I want you to know something. We are at war. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you're ready or not. We are at war. And this morning I'm going to urge you 
Get your eyes up. It's dangerous. Get your eyes up. Gear up. Get yourself ready. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. It's in the book of Ephesians that we find a famous passage. You've probably heard of something referred to as the armor of God. Now, if I was going to preach the armor of God to you, I, it would take me eight weeks. It would take me four hours. We don't have four hours this morning. We only have two. Just kidding. <laughs> a little joke there. Uh, we don't have that long. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take one part of this passage and I'm going to apply it to where we are as a church right now. So right now, our church is walking through what we're calling 40 days of prayer. And, at, and we're right in the middle. And as these 40 days have unfolded, I believe what we have been witnessing is war. We, we have several members who during these 40 days began walking through illness. We have several members during these 40 days um, started, started walking through grief and sorrow, all of it unexpected. We have uh, some of our members whose marriages are in trouble. And there's, there's real hurt and there's real difficulty. We have some of our members who in this 40 days have succumbed and given in to temptation and have begun walking in sin right now. I don't want it to be true, but I, I bet you, some of you in this room, you, you would be characterized as somebody who's just walking right through sin. You're following after sin. See, we stepped into 40 days of prayer thinking we were doing a, some campaign. One of those things the church does. And then we'll get past it and, and we'll go back to normal. What, what we didn't know is that we were stepping into a war. War had been declared on us and we stepped into 40 days of prayer and we, we were declaring war. And we're right in the middle of it. Right now we're being schemed against. And it's time for us to understand that. So we're going to look at Ephesians 6. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to set it up for you, set up the armor of God. Then we're going to skip the armor of God. And then I want to show you one thing. Um, and, and then we'll be good. We're going to look and we're going to see how prayer is the foundation for the deployment of the armor of God. Look with me in verse 10. Ephesians 6 verse 10 is where we're going to begin. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And the beginning of verse 14 says, Stand. He says, stand. Now these verses, these four verses are a setup for what follows is the armor of God. It's just a setup. And in these four verses, in the setup, I want to share with you a few things that I noticed. First, life is war. Life is war. Alan talked about that last week. If you were here, he, he said, sometimes life is heavy and hard to take. And many of you resonated with that. Life is war when things don't go the way that you wanted it to. 
when, when you feel like you just haven't measured up to the expectations, when that relationship comes to an end, or when you get the diagnosis that you were hoping it wouldn't be, or when, when the doctors just don't have the answers. Life feels like a war. And if that's you in the room, maybe you, you really resonate with Psalm 42. My tears have been food all day and night while they say to me, where's your God? Life is war. It, it feels like a war when we zoom out. We, we turn away from our personal problems and we zoom out and we look at the world and we, we see tragedy and destruction and things don't seem fair. And we read the news and, and we listen to the media and it feels like this thing is spinning out of control. Feels like a war. Life is war. It feels like a war when we're faced with temptation. When when sin, sin seems good and easy, and it seems like the thing we want to do. But on the other hand, we belong to Jesus, and we don't want to sin. But but then back on the other hand, we kind of do want to sin. Life feels like a war. Life is war. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Life is war, but your enemy isn't flesh and blood. Your enemy isn't flesh and blood. See, when we look at our situations, we just see, we see the surface. We see the surface. It, it, may, it may seem like our, our enemies are people, or our enemies are the circumstances around us, that those are our enemies, and on the surface they are. But Paul is showing us that there's something underneath. And that's the real enemy. See, we are at war with personal, real beings who are evil. And these beings hate God. They hate God. And human beings have been made in the image of God. And so all that they want to do is to destroy the image of God in you, in your family, in your neighbors, in your co-workers. In whatever way they can destroy the image of God. They want to destroy and distort and mar the image of God in you. Life is a spiritual war. Here's the next thing. If it's a spiritual war, a spiritual war requires spiritual weaponry. In these verses we read three times, Paul says, stand. If he has to remind us to stand, that means that it's possible for you to fall. You are vulnerable to attack. This is not a game. The enemy of your souls is powerful and cunning and wicked. He would tear you to pieces if he could. It is possible for you to fall. And so Paul says, stand. Stand. But the good news is, he says, stand, he says, be strengthened. He doesn't say be strong, he says, be strengthened. The power to stand is not your own ability to just kind of man up and stand. The power is not within, the power is without. Earlier in Ephesians, Jesus said that the same spirit, the, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, lives within you. So you're not strengthened uh, by your own power. You're strengthened by the power that God supplies, not by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, not by trying harder, not by manning up, but by accessing the power that God provides. 
Uh, there's a verse uh, that you probably have heard before. It's, it's probably on a coffee cup at your house. Maybe you got a t-shirt, a hat, bumper sticker. It, it, it says, be strong and courageous. Right? Joshua 1.9, have you heard this? Be strong and courageous. Why, why, did, why did God tell Joshua, be strong and courageous? What's the rest of the book of Joshua? A bloody, fierce war over the promised land. He didn't say, Joshua, today I'd like you to be strong for no particular reason. He says, I want you to be strong because there's a war coming and you've got to be strong and courageous. Paul is saying the same thing to us here. Be strong and be courageous because war is coming. You have to stand. Life is war and you have to stand firm. And spiritual weaponry is required. And that takes us to the armor of God. And I'm going to give you, you know, eight weeks worth of sermons here in about 20 seconds. Okay, are you ready? Okay, he says in, in verses 14 through 17, he says, put on the belt of truth. It's, it's God's word that holds this all together and keeps us centered. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. The thing that protects us is not our own ability to keep a list of rules. It's Christ's righteousness given to us that protects us and puts us in right standing before God. He says, put on the gospel shoes. That way you're ready to stand firm, to dig in and be ready for the attack that's to come. He says, pick up the shield of faith. The enemy is slinging arrows at you, and you've got to be able to block those. But it's not like a game of dodgeball. It's it's a shield of faith that you're going to trust in God's promises. And you're going to knock those arrows down with your faith. He says, put on the helmet of salvation and, and pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, Take up spiritual weaponry, spiritual armor, and go to war with the lies and the temptations and the doubts from the evil one. Be strengthened by the truth of the gospel and the faith and the hope supplied by God. That's about eight weeks. So let me, let me help you understand. This is what Paul is trying to say, okay? Let me help you understand this scripture so far. Here's the way it works. He says, you know, life is war. Stand firm. And here's how you're going to stand firm. You're going to pick up the armor of God. And then we're going to skip down to verse 18 because I want to show you this. This is, this is incredible. Verse 18, what, what verse 18 does is it skips all the way back up to the top where he says stand firm. And then it just kind of seeps down through the armor. Okay, let me show you. Verse 18, it, it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Okay, let me, let me show you what Paul is saying here. He says, stand firm, praying. If you're going to stand firm, oh, you better be praying. But then it starts to seep down. It starts to seep down, and he says, take the belt of truth, praying. And take the breastplate of righteousness, praying. And, and put on your gospel shoes, and, and pray. And, and hold up that shield of faith, and pray. And put on the helmet of salvation, and pray. And take up God's word, and pray. See, prayer is the foundation for the deployment of the armor of God. Prayer permeates Everything. Prayer is the power that wields the weapon. Prayer is the binding that holds all of our weapons together.
So here, here's how, how I want to finish up our time here. It's going to be a minute. They tell you in preaching school, never say I'm almost done when you're not almost done. Because then people start to get mad. Okay, don't get mad. All right? But this is, this is the section that I wanted to focus on. This is what I was getting to. Okay? In verse 18, he says the word all four times. When a biblical author uses the same word in one verse four times, you should probably pay attention to what he's saying. In verse 18, he tells us how we should be praying. And I want to show you very quickly. First of all, he says praying at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? It means to pray what the Spirit wants you to pray. To pray what God wants you to pray. And how do we know what God wants? Is we take up His sword and we look, we open His Word and we see and it tells us what God wants. It tells us what God wants. And what does the Holy Spirit want? He wants Jesus to be lifted high. He, he, wants, he wants Jesus to be exalted so that all may see the beauty and the glory and the power that is in Him. By looking at God's Word, I also know that, that the Spirit wants us to be more like Jesus. That's one of His jobs, is to take us and to use Everything he can to shape us and form us and to make us more like Jesus. What does the Holy Spirit want? He wants God's kingdom to advance. That's what praying in the Spirit means. It doesn't mean that we can't pray for small things because how does that relate to God's kingdom advancing? But what it does mean is that God's kingdom advancing should be the, the backdrop for all of your prayer. Big things, small things, everything should be uh, informed by God's kingdom advancing. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. But he says pray in the Spirit at all times. What does it mean to pray at all times? It, it means to pray at all times. Like in, in uh, Acts chapter 6, the apostle said we will give ourselves continually to prayer. And it's said of Cornelius in Acts 10 that he used to pray to God always. Paul tells us in Romans 12, continue diligently in prayer. And the same thing in Colossians 4, continue in prayer. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without, pray without ceasing. Pray at all times, good times, bad times, happy times. Sad times, angry times, confused times, content times, needy times. Pray at all times. All times. We've got to pray at all times because the struggle with the powers of darkness is never ending. There's no ceasefire. We've got to pray in bad times because we have to resist the evil one who's trying to use these bad times to make uh, uh, to make a shipwreck of our faith. We've got to be in prayer because we have to battle the lies that God isn't strong enough or that God isn't good enough or that God doesn't love me enough. And that's why I'm going through that. We've got to be in prayer to battle that. We've, we have to pray in bad times, but we also have to pray in good times. We have to battle the, the, the sin of pride and self-sufficiency, but we also ha have to have to prepare for stormier weather. Uh, these last few weeks have been just, just so busy at my house. Um, there, there's just been a lot of things going on and not anything different than what you guys are probably dealing with with your kids. 
But um, now we've, we, we have kind of had one kid in sports for forever, and now we've got a second kid in sports. And it's like, oh, no, we, no, we can't do this. But it's great. Like Charlie's playing uh, baseball, and it's fun, and it's good, and he's learning and getting better. Uh, but now we've got Emma, and she's started T-ball. If you're ever bored on a Saturday and you need something to do, you go out to the baseball field, I probably find a T-ball game and just watch. It is hilarious. It's the, it, it's it's entertainment. You don't need TV. You you can go watch T-ball. It's great. Um, but we've got practices and games and we're all over the place and Charlie was also finishing up basketball and we're trying to do all these different things and and just other things going on. And then this weekend to top it off, it was Emma's 6th birthday and she had a party and we had all this and family coming in and it was just a busy busy time. And so on Wednesday, uh, I think it was Wednesday, my wife sent me a text, and, and, and the text that she sent, um, she, she loves um, plants and flowers and trees, and so we have a rose bush that her grandmother gave her in our yard, and we have, uh, we have some, uh, some trees in the backyard, and, and, we have, and she likes to have flowers and all these kinds of things. She, she sent me a text on Wednesday, and she said, I need to water today. Remind me to water today because I don't know what's going to happen this weekend. And if I don't water now and I can't water this weekend, then our plants are going to shrivel and die. You, you've, got, you've got to water because you don't, you don't know what's coming down the road. I, I don't know if you see it or not, but I think prayers like that. When, when, when the difficulty comes, you may not have time to pray. So maybe you should pray on the front end because you don't know what's, what lies ahead. We've got to be in prayer at all times. The second thing that he says in verse 18, it says, uh, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. In other words, all kinds of prayer. All kinds of prayer. Pray with all kinds of prayer. Public, private, verbal Silent, tearful, joyful, planned, spontaneous, with your small group, by yourself, in your closet. Thanksgiving, adoration, petitioning, confessing, all kinds. I think sometimes maybe we don't pray all kinds of prayers to God because we think maybe we're boring Him. Or He shouldn't be concerned with that. But nothing could be further from the truth. Proverbs 15:8 says it says that the wicked are an abomination to the Lord but the prayer of the upright is his delight. What delights you? My kids delight me. Playing music delights me. Playing sports well delights me. What delights you? Do you know what delights the heart of God, one of the things, when you pray, when you pray. And so we are not just encouraged, we are commanded to pray. God loves to hear your prayers. He loves that you're talking to him and your prayer shows that you trust him. So all, all times, all kinds, the third thing. Paul says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. 
If we're going to be able to pray at all times with all kinds of prayers, we have to be alert. The most dangerous place you can be is to be in danger and not know it. You have to be alert. You have to understand the reality of the situation that you're in. And understand there's a spiritual battle raging right now. And the souls of people are at stake. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus says, watch and pray always. And looking through historical record, we can see that 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 was actually kind of a catchphrase for the early church. That was a catchphrase for the early church. They would tell one another, watch and pray. Hey, I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, watch and pray. That's how they would communicate with one another. That's, that was a catchphrase they would throw out there is watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. Jesus told a parable in Luke 18 about a lady who was persistent in prayer. But at the, before the, the parable is told, we're told why he told the story. And the reason why he told the story, it tells us, is so that we would pray and not lose heart. And some translations say pray and not faint. Pray and not faint. There's no middle ground there. You're either praying or you're fainting. So we're told here, be alert. Don't get surprised and pass out, right? Pay attention. Be on alert. Pray at all times with all kinds of prayers, but be alert and don't faint. Don't faint when things are going poorly. When things aren't going your way. When the doctor tells you something you didn't want to hear. When your kids are out of control. When you lose your job or you're staring death in the face. Don't quit. Pray earnestly. Pray passionately. Don't quit. But equally important and possibly even more difficult. Don't faint in good times. You have to be alert in good times. You never know when that sucker punch is going to come. Watch. And pray, all times, all kinds, on alert. And then the last thing. Making supplication for all the saints. He says you've got to pray for all the saints. What's a saint? Well, the word saint means sanctified one. Or um, holy one. Or set apart one. Well, who are the set-apart ones? What the Bible teaches is that you and I are the set-apart ones. Anybody who puts their faith in Jesus is someone that God has set aside for his kingdom purposes. So who are the saints? You and me. We are the saints. So he says, keep praying for all the saints. And what's a collection of saints that are doing life together? Well, that's called a church. He says, pray for the church. The big C church, like the church global Or just pray for your church, central. Pastors and ABF leaders and kids leaders and youth leaders, Sunday morning, they are picking up the sword of the Spirit. And they're not just playing defense with the sword. They're playing offense with the sword. And they are attacking the lies of the the evil one with their sword. And they need your prayer. Pray for them. Pray for them. Uh, But not just leaders. Pray for You guys know each other. The people that you know, you know what people are going through. Pray for them. You see somebody in the hallway and they're like, man, I'm really going through this difficult time. Will you pray for me? You're like, 
sure, and you go home and you do nothing about it. The reason I know you do that is because I do the same thing, right? Pray. If you can't stop and pray at that moment, put a reminder in your phone. I just do what my phone says. It buzzes and says something. I'm supposed to do something. I just do whatever it says to do. You probably act the same way. Just pray. Pray for one another. We need the intercession of one another if we're going to stand firm. Look, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. And, and you need others to pray for you too. That's what we're told in Ephesians 6. If you want to stand firm, you better be praying. All times, all kinds, on alert for the church. Life is war. It's a spiritual war that requires spiritual weaponry. God has made it possible for us to stand. Even in the midst of great temptation and doubt and difficulty and struggle, He's made it possible. He has equipped us with everything we need to not fall. We can take up the truth of God's word and we can bathe it in prayer. We can do that. Now, we've been talking up here, way up in the clouds. Let's put some, some feet on the ground. What situations can you think of right now that, that could use some prayer? Who, who around you in your, in your life could just use some prayer? You know that person is struggling with this or you know this person could really use this. Or this situation needs to turn right? Who can you pray for? What kingdom advances do you see in your sphere of influence? Not on the other side of the world, but in your sphere of influence. How can the kingdom of God be advanced? What can you pray for? Or what about you just personally? What problems do you face? Like if you could, if you could go before God and say, I need you to act in this particular way and you knew God would do it, what is that thing? What is that problem that you're facing that you wish the Lord would just do? Or what things make life feel like a war to you? Stand firm. Praying. See, we're at war. And I'm asking you, won't you enter the fight? Like it or not, you're at war, but but when are you going to fight? When are you going to take the fight to the enemy? Instead of just sitting back and waiting for life circumstances to beat you up, when are you going to be active in prayer? When when are you going to have the preemptive strike of prayer? We're at war. God has given us the keys to victory, so stand firm and join the battle. One of the greatest movies of all time is the movie Braveheart. You could argue with me, but you would be wrong. Um, so at one point in the movie, uh, William Wallace and his army of uh, like ragtag rebels, they're about to do battle with the British, who are the, uh, the, you know, the greatest fighting force on the planet. And they're going to do battle, and they're lined up on each side. And, and the British are waiting for William Wallace in the middle. They're going to have this conversation before the battle starts. They're going to try to convince him to surrender or whatever, the terms of the battle. They're going to have this conversation. But before that happens, William Wallace, he gives this, you know, rousing speech to his army. And they're all fired up and ready to fight. And then he comes down and he talks to, to a couple of his leaders. And they're like, hey, that was, that was a great speech. Oh, what, what are you going to do now? And he kind of, you know, Mel Gibson kind of, Winks at him. 
And he says, um, I'm going to go pick a fight. He's going to go meet with the British. He's like, I'm going to go pick a fight. And he just rides off on his horse, leaving those two leaders looking at each other. And one of them shrugs his shoulders and he says, well, didn't get dressed up for nothing. Indeed. We didn't get dressed up for nothing. We have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have been given God's holy word as a weapon to use. We didn't get dressed up for nothing. Won't you join the fight? Will you not go to the Father and plead on behalf of your kids, on behalf of your wife or husband, or on behalf of your neighbor or the other people in this church? Will you not join the fight? Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. We will not lose. He will not fail. It's been said that Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. So pray at all times, all kinds, on alert for the church. Let's pray.